Welcome back to the Fantasy Hockey Hacks podcast. I'm Devin Davidson, your host. With me as always, Bruce Gunther. Hello. And I should have mentioned that we are a proud member of the Heavy Hockey Network. Uh, Bruce, we're pretty excited. Lots going on over there these days. Absolutely. Some nice stuff. Very nice. Very good stuff. Um, So for our listeners, if you haven't already, go check them out over at heavyhockey.com. Lots of Oilers-centric content, but also uh, lots of just general Fun stuff to look at, so give it a look. Um, tonight we're doing episode 121, Atlantic Division Fantasy Preview Part 2, and we brought in a special guest with us tonight. So we, joining us is Michael Amato, fantasy hockey contributor for Sportsnet. Uh, Michael, you do the uh, 20 fantasy thoughts every every week. Um, great article. I know Bruce and I have been reading that for quite some time. And uh, also you're the managing editor for Goalie Post. Uh, you guys just dropped a new app the goalie post app and i gotta say did you have a hand in that because it looks fantastic uh, i can't say i did i'm i'm not <laughs> a tech guy we have a, a good team that works on that so yeah it's looking sharp and uh everyone seems to like it so far so yeah yeah i'm super excited to use it next year um is there like it's not it's not paid eh? is it is still a free app yep still free um i think it's out for android and ios now and it's still just um email notifications but i think we're targeting like October or November to get the actual like notifications on the app from like anytime a starting goal is updated. So that nice. should be really, really helpful. If you're in That's fantasy hockey. super slick. So Dauber just keeps on trucking lots of good stuff from you guys over there. <laughs> yep. Um, well, Hey, I, how's, how's things going over Sportsnet? Are you enjoying your time there writing the articles and doing all that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a really fun experience. Um, obviously like they have sort of the national rights for hockey in Canada. So it's kind of fun to, be a small tiny part of that on the fantasy side so but yeah it's it's really cool there's a lot of uh you know uh, people that really read the content and engage and comment on it which is always good even if they don't always agree so well that's just fantasy hockey in general right everybody has an opinion so (laughs) that's okay um before we jump into this i just want to mention that this episode is brought to you by flaviar refine your palate with spirits from around the world sample and train your palate with curated tasting sets buy bottles at a discount and curate your home bar Socialize and learn together with other members. Visit flaviar.com slash FHH today to save 10% when you sign up for a subscription available to our listeners in the United States, United Kingdom, and European unions. And of course, as we've been doing all summer long, we're going to go through each division and each team based on the results from the previous year, as well as any changes that were made as a result of the NHL entry draft and free agency, which teams improved, declined, or remain largely the same. We'll go through some team statistics, schedule notes, additions, departures, and projections for key fantasy relevant players and on that note we're going to start with the montreal Canadiens, who were 31 45 and 6 eighth in the atlantic last season goals for 2.77 was 26 goals against at 3.72 was 29th uh the special team's power play was 16 percent which is 29th in the nhl last year and the pk at 72 percent was 29th uh they've got 13 back-to-back sets this season tied for fourth most with columbus and toronto 19 of their games, or 30, 23%, are played on light days. Key additions, Alex Newhook, Elias Anderson, Gustav Lindstrom, Casey DeSmith. Key departures, Jonathan Drouin, Mike Hoffman, and Joel Edmondson. So, Michael, my question to you, did this, did this team improve, decline, or remain largely the same? Uh, I think you could say it probably improved. I don't think necessarily by some of the acquisitions they made per se. I think just like they're a young team that's growing. And I think probably some of those players, like if they have a healthy Cole Caulfield for the whole season, that's going to help, you know, Caden Gooley, um, Slavkowski, like if they all can kind of take a step, I think that's 
that's going to help them. I, I think they're probably still the weakest team in the division, I'd say, but I think they're definitely on the right track. Yeah, I'd agree. I, what did you make of the David Reinbacher draft selection? I, I know there's a lot of heat taken over that and the fact that they didn't take uh, Matt Vay-Mitchkoff. Do, do you like, I mean, I'm not a huge dynasty guy. I'm just starting to get into it more and more. I'm not sure if you do a lot with dynasty either, but um, what did you make of that pick? Yeah, I'm not too surprised considering like Ken Hughes kind of is willing to go off the board. I think we we saw that a little bit um, last year. Like I don't think Shane Wright was necessarily like the consensus number one, but I think a lot of people thought he was going to go there and they and they went a different way. So I, I think, you know, it's uh, I think if you're a team that's, you know, rebuilding and sort of in a longer term plan, you can take some chances like that. And, you know, I think like uh, if you compare it to Detroit, they, they kind of took a little criticism for taking like Mo Sider, I think in like a similar type spot. And I think it worked yeah. out pretty well for them. So we'll see what happens with Montreal. Well, it's funny you mentioned Mo Sider because I think it was elite prospects that actually mentioned Mo Sider as a bit of a comparable for David Reinbacher. Yeah. Like, so uh, interesting fit there. Um, since we're talking about defense, let's maybe start there. So you mentioned Caden Gooley and I actually like Caden Gooley. Um, he did some good things last year. <clears throat> um, the first half of the, of the season was, um, <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, not not terrible. I think he he dealt he dealt with some injuries last year, right? So uh, a rough second second half for him. He played in a total of eight games and had just four points. But um, in the first half, he played fine. Sixteen points in forty games, a thirty three point pace over eighty two. Um, where does he kind of fit in the depth chart for you? Because it looks like he. I mean, I've seen you know some lineups where he's sitting in the in the top pairing or the top four. Um, is he going to get kind of buried in the depth chart here eventually with guys like? Uh, Lane Hudson and, and David Reinbacher and and you've got Mike Matheson there obviously who's going to play power play one yeah I think right now I don't know how fantasy relevant he'll be this season I think he's probably like um, he might even be a third pairing guy this year still um, they probably also just want to like ease him in I think there's also I, I think like somebody like Matheson is probably good to have there because you know you listed some of Montreal stats there earlier like they weren't pretty and when you have like a young defenseman on a sort of a weaker team, you don't necessarily want to be playing them like massive minutes in, you know, against the opponent's kind of top competition because they can kind of do a number on their confidence maybe. But yeah, I think he's going to be a great player. Um, you know, if we're talking this season, I, I don't think he'll be super relevant. Um, you know, I, I think like Matheson's probably going to quarterback that top power play. Um, and, he, and he had a pretty strong year last year, all things considered. So I think Gooley might be a guy that, you know, maybe you stream at some point if you if you need some help. But I don't know um, if you're in like a one-year league, how relevant he'll be the next season. Yeah, we've got Caden Gooley projected for nine goals and 34 points. Does that seem a bit optimistic to you? Maybe a tad, but yeah, I wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if he gets around there. Um, but again, yeah, like that's probably somebody that like, you know, I don't know if you're rostering per se. Um, again, you might be able to catch like lightning in a bottle. If he goes on like a two or three week, you know, a nice point streak, you can grab mm-hmm. him. But yeah, would I draft him in a one-year league right now? Probably not. But yeah, I think he's got a lot of potential. Montreal has a lot of, I think, young defenders coming up and I think he's going to be a big part of it. Yeah, I agree with that. He's going undrafted right now in Yahoo mock drafts. Um, Mike Matheson, though, is going at 166. Um, so where does that put him? Somewhere in the like the 14th round or something. Does that seem, that seems like a reasonable yeah. bet I'd say for Mike Matheson. Yeah, for sure. Like if you look at his number, I think he set a career high in points last year in only, I want to say like 40 something games, 48 games maybe. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty impressive. And, you know, I think that power play is probably going to be better. I think 
a big reason why they weren't as strong is because Caulfield missed so much time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting, like, you look at sort of the way Caulfield plays, he kind of, like, he almost has a little bit of that, like, Ovechkin from the the left hash mark with that one-timer shot. Like, yep. you know, Ovechkin did that for years. And I wonder if, like, that becomes a thing for Caulfield. And, you know, if you're Matheson just kind of, like, feeding it over to him for those easy, like, <laughs> assists, that could be a really nice <laughs> thing for you. Sure. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I, I think um, based on what Matheson did last year, he's probably going to get that top uh, power play spot to start. And, yeah, we'll see where it goes. I think every... I think every team's like power play one is going to have some kind of value at times. So yeah, I'd definitely be looking at Mathis in there in, in that type of round 14th round. Yeah. He played some massive minutes. I think he was playing 24, almost 25 minutes a game and, and 60 some percent power play share. So, um, exactly the deployment you're looking for. And I think at that point in the draft, there's a lot of value to be had there for sure. And, and like you said, because the special teams weren't great, he's going to get overlooked a little bit. Yep. Um, we had him projected for 14 goals and 47 points. Uh, is that, sort of reasonable to you or, or do you, what do you think? I think if he plays like close to 80 games, that, that could be reasonable. Um, and I think that's somebody you, you definitely roster. I think you'd be pretty happy with that. If you're getting him in that, you know, 13, 14, 15 round type area. Yeah. And he does have offer some category coverage here as well. So 1.67 blocks per game and just over one hit per game. So some things to like there about Matheson. Um, Cole Caulfield. So you mentioned him a couple times. We've got him projected for 43 goals and 73 points. He has led Montreal Canadiens over the past three seasons with a shot rate of 10.8 shots on goal per 60. Um, this last season, actually, he was at 11.42 shots on goal per 60. So I'm really that was 18th league wide. So if you're looking for a high volume shooter that can put the puck in the net, uh, this guy's a great option. Like you said, needs to stay healthy to to continue producing, but. Is is a fifty goal season in his future, or you know, is that maybe two, three years down the road when Montreal is just a little bit more competitive? Yeah, I think it's definitely in his future. I think he's a fifty goal scorer in this league. Um, I, I don't know if it's yeah, like you said, I don't know if it's coming this season, but I think in a couple of years it's definitely possible. Um, I think if you know I were in a keeper league, I would definitely be holding on to him for that because. I think we've seen what he can do. Um, and yeah, I think there's a lot of potential there and he's going to be there for a long time. I think Montreal is probably also going to, as a team, you know, kind of when Caulfield sort of really hits his peak in his prime, I think they're going to be really good too. So, you know, that's always good. I think we've seen kind of something similar with the devils. So where they've kind of all just, you know, a lot of young players there have taken steps at, at the right times. They've just become a really good team. I think Montreal could do the same thing in a couple of years and, yeah, I think you're going to want to have uh, Caulfield around for that. And again, just talking about ADP um, right now, and again, we take this with a grain of salt because it is early in, in mock draft season, but 142 right now puts him in the, the 11th or the 12th round of a 12-team redraft league. Um, and then positional scarcity, he's playing right wing. So there is some added value there, I think, too, just having a goal scorer on the right side. Yep. All right. Um, so I like that. Uh, who else do we want to talk about here? Sean Monahan, actually. So this one I thought was interesting. I mean, I'm kind of skipping over Kirby Doc and Nick Suzuki here because I, I think we kind of know what to expect from those guys for the most part. Um, maybe I'll ask you about Kirby Doc. So we've got him projected for 19 goals and 58 points. Um, did you did you feel like Chicago gave up on that player too early? I, I would probably say so. Um, I think they were just going for like a complete kind of rebuild which is interesting because i don't know i think if you're rebuilding doc could be a good part of that um so i'm not too (laughs) sure what exactly was the motivation of getting rid of him but i think he's interesting i think 
those projections could work out, but I think it depends on deployment. Like if he's getting the wing with Suzuki and Caulfield, yeah, I think those are realistic. But if maybe he drops down um, to play a, a center role on, on a on a, a second or third line, then obviously not as much. Right. Um, but maybe that's the plan for him to stay up top now since they got Newhook, who can also play center. Uh, Monahan's healthy, then that's a center too. So. Yeah, I think uh, I, I like Doc a lot. I actually rostered him quite a bit last year. He he had some pretty good uh, scoring streaks, and he went cold a bit um, mm-hmm. at times. But yeah, I think like if he's playing a full season with Suzuki and Caulfield, he, he'll be really interesting. He could definitely get in the fifty-five point range. I think. Yeah, you know, in a very limited sample size in the second half of the season, so he had uh, eleven points and six goals in fourteen games. So he played at a sixty-five point pace. Again, very limited sample size, but I do like him a lot if he is, like you said, on that that top line right side uh, with Caulfield and Suzuki. Uh, you mentioned him yourself, Sean Monahan. So I did want to talk about him quickly. It, it just he kind of fell off a cliff for a bit there, right after uh, like his time in in Calgary, and then dealt with injuries and all sorts of stuff. Um, so his value heading into last season, or heading even heading into this season, is at an all time low, but. Actually, there's some interesting stats here. So every luck metric that we review for aggression, so his individual shooting percentage, team even strength shooting percentage, IPP, secondary assists per 60, and power play shooting percentage uh, suggests that he may bounce back next year. Um, do you have any interest in Sean Monaghan as, as sort of a late round pick or maybe even just you know someone you put on your watch list for, for early in the season? I could, I could say watch list. Um, I think what's interesting about Montreal is they have a lot of centers suddenly. Um, so I don't know exactly where he fits in and given his injury history, like, and his durability, like, I don't know. I could see him maybe being like the, you know, the third or fourth line center, to be honest. So I don't know how productive he's going to be. Like they have Dvorak, they have uh new hook is there still, or, or sorry, they just added new hook. I should say. Um, I think they have a lot of depth at that position. So I don't really see him even Jake Evans. I think they really like, mm-hmm. uh, and, there so i don't really know if he's going to bump one of those guys out so yeah i'd put him on my watch list to see there's always those like you know bounce back candidates or guys that kind of have like a bit of a renaissance but i I don't think i'd be using a later on pick on him per se but i might keep an eye on him in the early part of the season yeah yeah i would agree with that i think generally you try to save your late round picks for like upside picks right guys who maybe it's it's a young rookie coming in or somebody who you're kind of taking a swing on and there's upside there but one thing that i find interesting about monahan is that he had a 62.3% power play share last season. Uh, he didn't play a full season or anything, but I mean, they were deploying him on the top power play unit. So yeah. I'm just really curious if he gets that sort of deployment again, something to watch. Yeah, that is, season. Yeah, that is interesting. Like I, I think he could. And and like I said, he might end up being on the third or fourth line, but he might get like top power play time. So yeah. it is interesting. Uh, any thoughts on Uri Slavkovsky? I mean, I it, it's so hard to project because he played, 39 games so there's really no data to work with there um i just threw a dart to the board and put 14 goals and 29 points what do you think of him I, he's a bigger player takes time to develop for those guys right yeah I, I agree it's really hard to predict him um i'd like to just before i kind of take a chance on him i'd like to see sort of how montreal um it's going to utilize him like where are they playing him in the lineup is he getting power play time um, he's definitely a big body, so you know if he around the net, you can always pick up points if he's getting some good, good opportunities, especially on the power play. But yeah, it's it's a wild card. I think you know we we just kind of reference maybe taking a a swing with a late late pick if that's a guy that you're kind of banking on, then you know maybe that's a spot for him. But yeah, it's it's really kind of 
hard to forecast him as a player, I think, right now. All right. Uh, and then I just want to talk quickly about the goaltending tandem here. So you got Sam Montembeau and Jake Allen. Right now, I'm, I'm saying 55% Montembeau, 45% net share for Jake Allen. But there's also Casey DeSmith sort of waiting in the wings too, maybe. I don't know. Like, how do you see that shaking out? Is Casey DeSmith someone that you have any interest in as, as a sleeper pick? Uh, I can't say I do. I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't love him. He got a lot of opportunities last year in Pittsburgh. He didn't really run with them. Um, granted, I don't think like the pens had a, had a great year per se, but I think that, I think they're still stronger than, than Montreal. And I don't know. I don't think the Smith fared very well last season. And I don't think he's going to do that well in Montreal if he gets a chance. I, I think like, I actually was really impressed with Montembeau last year. Um, and maybe it's just a little bit of like, um, bias in my league because he ended up pretty much beating me one week head to head like by himself <laughs> there was a week there like in February where I think he made like he had like three wins in one week and they're all like 40 plus save games so mm-hmm. he kind of reminds me of uh, and Jake Allen a bit too like they're not quite a, at the same uh, talent level as like a John Gibson but in the sense that they're going to face a ton of shots and yeah. it can kind of go like one or two ways it can be like an incredible like 42 save performance or it could just be like you're giving up eight goals yeah um and i and i think like there was a lot of those games from montreal last year but there was also like a lot of on the other side as well so i think they're pretty good streaming options you know if you get a week where montreal's got like a pretty favorable schedule or something and you got a goalie injury and maybe you can take a chance on on montable or something but yeah you never know with those guys it's a bit of a, a bit of hit or miss totally fair okay uh, let's move on to the Ottawa Senators. Then they were 39, 35 and eight last year, sixth in the Atlantic goals for 3.16. They were 18th in the league goals against at 3.29. They were 20th, uh, Corsi four 51.49 was 12. So actually a pretty good possession team that way. Power play was eighth at 23.53%. And the PK was 14th at 80.07%. They have 14 back-to-back sets this season tied for the third most with the Carolina hurricanes. 28% of the games are played on light days, tied for third fewest with the Boston Bruins this upcoming season. Key additions, Vladimir Cherisenko, Dominique Kubelik, Eunice Corposalo, obviously Debrinket on his way out, and Camp Talbot. Um, I've got my opinion, but Michael, did this team improve, decline, or remain largely the same? Um, I think maybe largely the same. I, I, like, I like some of their young defenders now maybe taking a step especially jake sanderson um i'm curious to see them with a full year of like chikorin too mm-hmm. um that could be interesting and yeah like i think it's funny like tarasenko was a nice late pickup for them but it's i think they probably got slightly worse in the top six just because the brinkat i think is is better than tarasenko not not by a ton but i think you know when you lose the brinkat it's kind of hard to get better in that sense you know, Kubalik maybe helps their depth a bit, but, you know, he's very much uh, streaky. He can go on, he can look great for a couple of weeks and then just be, you know, completely disappear for another month. So yep. um, I think a lot of it just depends on a couple of things. Obviously, like, you know, how how big a steps can some of those young players take that are that are still growing? And, you know, how, what's the goaltending like? Last year, they they struggled to get saves. You know, they brought Corpusalo in, obviously, maybe... He can stabilize things a bit. Um, if Forsberg stays healthy, you know, he looked he looked really good the year prior to last. So, yeah, I think if they get some saves and, uh, you know, we'll see. It, it's obviously like a really competitive division. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be for sure. But, you know, it seems like one of these are one of those teams that people have been talking about a lot this summer just for some of the acquisitions. Yeah. And, and they were, 
I guess, reasonably close to competing for a playoff spot, right? They were, they weren't totally out of it anyway. So, yeah. um, you know, and, and just having, a all their players healthy, like Josh Norris and Drake Batherson. And I mean, I, I'm really curious to see what they do. And like you said, a full season of Jacob Chikrin. Um, maybe let's, let's start there on, on defense because it looks like Thomas Shabbat. Well, I'll start with him. Um, interesting stat prior to last season, he scored a grand total of just three power play goals in 313 NHL games. I, I had no clue. I just saw that today. Um, and that changed last season. He shot at 14.2% of the power play on 35 shots. He cashed in on five power play goals and 20 power play points. So, and he's been given the deployment. He had a 62.5% power play share. Does he just automatically get power play one next year, or does Jacob Chikrin sort of eat away at that? I could see it being more of a competition with Chikrin there um, for a full season. Like, Shabbat's always interesting to me. I think he's, like, I have I have this list always that I say of players that are, like, better in real life than in fantasy. And I think, like, Shabbat might be, like, the team captain of that group. <laughs> like, he's, like... He's, he's really a solid player and somebody like you want on your team if you're, you know, trying yep. to win a Stanley Cup. But I think in fantasy, he just like, he's decent all around. But he doesn't do anything like particularly well. It doesn't really like stand out in any one area right. um, other than like the fact that he gets a lot of ice time, which is always good if you have, you know, volume categories like hits, block shots. Um, he's naturally going to be pretty decent in those. But yeah, I don't know. I just look at him. When I watch him play, I'm like, that's a great player. And then I look at his numbers, um, you know, like, and then they just kind of leave me always wanting more for fantasy. You know, like, Ke'Andre Miller, not to get too off topic, another guy like that, just like a great player for the Rangers. But, like, fantasy, not so much. But you never know. Like, I always had Miro Heiskanen on that list, too. And then last year, he just, like, exploded. and, And now he's, I think, a really great fantasy asset. But for a while there, he was just, like, this smooth skating defenseman that got like 37 points every year. Right. And it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't so, so great for fantasy. Right. So sure. I kind of put Shabbat um, in that realm, but yeah. And I think even with Sanderson, right. He's going to have more pressure on him now to like to play well, to hold on to like that power play one spot because the Sens defense really was pretty thin for a while. And now I think they have some, some talent there. Yeah, it looks good. I mean, I'd, I'd be concerned about Jake Sanderson in the short term, just, he's getting buried on the depth chart behind Shabbat and Chikrin, right? And, and like yeah. you said, Shabbat plays 25 plus minutes a game every, every year. So, um, it's going to be tough for, for Sanderson to be rel- fantasy relevant, I think, um, as, as soon as this next season, but we've got, uh, Shabbat at 12 goals and 54 points, just, just edging out Chikrin at 16 goals and 52 points. So I think Chikrin's going to have a, a few more goals and that's maybe just sort of, uh, speaks to their, their playing styles, but, does that seem reasonable to you or do you expect something different? Yeah, no, that's pretty much it. Like 50 and change. I think, um, if he can stay healthy, that's probably right, right about, you know, where I'd have him. Um, yeah. And I think maybe that's another, you know, concern with him. He's missed, I think quite a bit of time the last two seasons. So, um, that's kind of bringing his point totals down as well. But yeah, if he plays a full, full season, I could see him being just, you know, 50 plus, which is again, not, not bad for defensemen, but I don't think you want that as like your number one or number two defenseman on your fantasy team necessarily. But yeah, I think he's, there's definitely a role for him, obviously. Okay, for sure. Um, Jonas Corposalo. So I actually, when this trade went down, I was, I was kind of high on the guy. I thought, oh, this, this could be great, right? He's, he, look how, look how good he looked in LA, but then you know, you really think about it and, and LA is just a great shot suppression team. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of the shots that teams do get on them are from the outside. They're not high quality chances. And so now he's going to a team in Ottawa where they have a better defense now, but um, 
he's adjusting to a, a different system, different coach, different city, all that kind of stuff. Um, and the other thing I looked at too was his even strength save percentage last season uh, with the Kings was was a, the second highest of his career at 926. His career even strength save percentage is 912. So when you adjust for his career even strength save percentage and then league averages for, for PK save percentage and power play save percentage, um, you can see a pretty substantial dip in his numbers next year for goals against and, and save percentage. So, I mean, are you, are you kind of yay or nay on Corpus Allo for next year? Uh, I think if you're going like zero G and you're using a late pick, I think he's a decent option. I think just a couple things, obviously, to keep in mind, you know, kind of like you said, going from the Kings to the Sens is definitely a bit of a, a drop off. And I think we've seen some goalies in, in recent years, like Philly Husso last year, I think we saw go to like a w- much weaker team and, and kind of take a big hit with his numbers. So I think you always have to watch for that. Um, I think the other thing too is like, with these goaltenders now, like there's so many tandems. If you look at Corpus Allo's career numbers, like he hasn't even played 40 games in a season before. So if you're drafting him thinking he's going to take that number one job and play like 55, 60 times, like a, it's probably unlikely to happen. And B, if he does, you know, the odds of his numbers, not kind of sliding as he plays more, um, you know, it, it seems low. Like it's, it's his numbers are probably going to drop a bit. Like if he ends up playing 50, 55 games, it's not easy to do for a goalie. There's not many goalies that can do that. So, yeah. And I think, you know, it just, the other question would be like, how, how good will the Sens be, right? Like, are they going to be that much better where they can prop up a goalie um, like that? I think we saw, you know, last year, like Vitek Vanacek was kind of an example of a goalie that was, you know, average ish. And then he goes to the devils and, he was really good. I think for the majority of the season, he kind of finished pretty slow, but yeah, you know, he was a really valuable goalie last year. I think not because he just got magically better because the team he was on was really good and he was winning a lot of games and they were helping him out. So yeah, if this sends kind of take a step forward and they're in that playoff picture, um, I think he's definitely somebody to roll the dice on. All right. And then I uh... I didn't have him for 55 or 60. I've got him at 49 and Anton Forsberg at 33 starts. So kind of a 60-40 split. Um, but I could also see a scenario where they just ride the hot hand and maybe it is just a full 50-50 split and um, away we yeah. go. But Anton Forsberg uh, declared himself 100% healthy. I saw there was a tweet from Sportsnet recently and he said, had they made the playoffs, he would have been skating in full gear and and you know potentially ready to play if needed. So um Good news because I, I don't know if you saw the the play from last year. Hyman got bumped oh, yeah. into him, and oh, it looked it looked awful. Yeah, that was bad. It was yeah, it was sad because he had the year prior he had such a good finish. Like yeah, I think he was pro- arguably the best goalie down in the second half. Like the last thirty games, he was just like quality start after quality start. Yeah, um, and I thought he was going to do really well last year. I actually drafted him late uh, last year, and it, yeah, it didn't work out, but. Yeah, he, he was looking really good. So, yeah, that's another reason I think if he comes back and plays the way he can, yeah, I could see it being closer to a 50-50 split. Okay. Uh, I just want to touch on Tarasenko quickly. So you had mentioned, you know, probably a bit of a downgrade from from Alex Dabrinkit, who we've talked about in previous episodes, and I, I think he's going to have a really good year in Detroit. All of his metrics suggest that he he had zero, zero puck luck last year. So... Um, I think expect good things from him. But for Tarasenko, we've got him projected for 26 goals and 64 points. Um, are you taking the over-under on that one? Uh, I think if everyone in that top six stays healthy, I'll take the over, maybe just slightly. Um, 
yeah, I think it's a really talented top six there. Um, even like Claude Giroux looked like a different player last year with them. He was really good. Yeah. If Nora stays healthy, I think they can be really strong. Um, Stutzel looks like he's bordering on like superstar status here. Like he looks great. Kachuk's phenomenal. Yeah. So even Batherson, I think, you know, can score. So there's not much wrong with it. Um, even if you get like power play two time there, I think it's still pretty potent. Um, so yeah, I think if, again, it's hard to predict everything sort of going to plan um, and everyone being healthy. But if it, if it does, yeah, I, I think like mid, he can get to mid sixties for sure. Nice. Uh, speaking of Claude Giroux, at age 35, he sets a career best in goals, 35 goals last year, uh, just under a point per game. I mean, the one thing is 16.4% shooting percentage um, was above his career in three-year averages. Um, so maybe expect a bit of regression from him. We've got him at 29 goals and 74 points. Does that, I mean, he's going to get a lot of opportunity, right? Yeah, I think he's kind of right in that mix. Um, you know, I think he's, like you said, I, I'm always worried a little bit about players that have those kind of career seasons at that age, um, which is like a natural regression point. But you know, I think if, again, if he stays healthy, that top six stays healthy, they should be able to hit it, right? Like they're, you know, they kind of play a little bit of, um, you know, back and forth hockey at times with some high scoring games. So yeah. I think that will benefit him in, in the fantasy realm for sure. But yeah, the talent is still there. And, you know, I think he is more of a distributor. That's why the 35 goals just like surprised me a bit last year. So yeah, yeah I could see more like uh, 29 this year and, and, you know, over 70 points again for sure. I mean, we keep saying that Joe Pavelski is going to regress and, and he's an old dog too. So, yeah. I mean, maybe Giroux can keep doing it. Who knows? Well, it was the year last year, right? Like Carlson, Jamie Benn had yeah. a career year. All these guys north of 30, well north of 30. So, yeah. Was it 2014 or what? What's happening here? I don't know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. I did want to ask you quickly about Tim Stutzla. You'd mentioned him. I mean, he does. He looks like a bona fide superstar. He's, he's Those Germans are pretty good these days. Um <laughs> We've got him at 37 goals and 94 points, taking just a, a little bit of a step back um, in terms of uh, in terms of goals there, because I think he shot at a, a career best 17, just over 17 percent. And who knows? I mean, maybe that's his new norm. I'm, I'm not sure, but just based on what we've seen from him to date, and then a high secondary assist rate per 60, um, maybe just a little bit of regression. But it's interesting to note he played at 105 point pace and 43 goals over the final 40 games of the season. So he, he, going down the stretch, he looked really, really good. My question to you, though, is he is entering his uh, fourth season, 210 career NHL games played. Obviously, being a Dauber hockey guy, do you put a lot of stock in the 200-game breakout threshold? Like, is that a thing? Um, I don't necessarily, but I, I think it certainly can be for some players. Um, I think with him, you know, he's already, to me, he's already kind of hit that breakout. So I don't know, like, like you said, 94 points. I think that's reasonable. Um, I don't know like how much he can really expand on that right now anyway, but yeah. I think a couple things with him that I really like is he's kind of a sneaky value for like uh, multi-cat leagues. Like, he's pretty good with hits. Um, you know, he's like not bad with pims either. Um, and yeah, I think like one thing last year, I think he played over 21 minutes. So maybe that comes down a bit this year with, you know, a healthy top six, um, you know, maybe they just limit his minutes a little bit more. Um, so that might be a thing that drops his points down. But yeah, I think like I was on um, Blake Kramer's pod uh, a, while, a while ago. We had a debate like, would you take Marner or Stutzla? 
I think if you're like, it's so close now because like his points are, he's probably going to finish a handful of points behind Marner, but yeah. his other kind of like peripheral stats, I think put him ahead. If you're in like a multi-cat league, I'd probably rather have Stutzla yep. to be honest, because he's only going to maybe fall like, let's say five or six points behind Marner, but he's going to have like way more hits, way more pims, probably more shots. Right. So yep. he's really an interesting like multi-cat player. And I don't think he gets like enough credit for that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Really like Stutzla. He'll be Bruce cover yours he'll be on my my personal draft list this going <laughs> fall, so. don't uh, worry i'm taking notes <laughs> uh speaking of blake creamer i was just on his pod uh i was at yesterday or two days ago we did the same thing the adp battle oh um, yeah yeah and i think he he uh he tries to pick players that we may have a personal vested interest in like i mean just being that you're out in toronto um you may have yeah. some interest in those players of course he's bugging me about connor brown and the oilers and, and some other players that maybe of interest so yeah great great guy great podcast a lot of fun yeah he had me i, I picked against matthews and marner which was like real <laughs> weird for me but i i took pastor i took pasternak over matthews and still over marner he, he was really confused he's like so. what is happening right now yeah. <laughs> yeah. you're just playing mind games with him yeah that's good oh man uh okay i oh and then brady kachuk i just want to mention like the guy is an absolute stud when it comes to multi-category leagues i think he was first yeah. among all nhl forwards um and second among all skaters, including defensemen, he had a combined total of almost 600 shots on goal, block shots, and hits, uh, and 126 penalty minutes, which is third overall. So, yeah, he's he's a unicorn. There's not really many players like him. So I think, uh, yeah, he's our. It's funny, right? Like he, he's so good at category coverage that you know when you're in a multi-cat league, like you kind of get the debate of like how how high do you take him? Even though his points probably won't be like near like a let's say like a dry style or a mckinnon or some of these other players but his category coverage is so good that like you know you could argue for him in like the top five in some leagues so uh, i just i just pulled up his his numbers here for yahoo so adp right now is is 12.4 so you're taking him you know late first or early second is does that's does that seem like good value or at the turn to grab kachuk uh, it seems incredible to me i mean it, it depends on your league i guess like yeah. you know my main league we we count like you know uh, shot or shots, hits, blocks, uh, pims, all that stuff. We even count faceoffs, which he had. I don't think I'll have it this year if Norris is healthy, but he had a lot of faceoff wins last year too, which yeah. was even more uh, more valuable. So, yeah, like I think if you if your league has like a pretty big value on things like hits and stuff like that, you can you can argue that he's way he's in the top ten for sure for me. Okay, uh, and then I was going to mention too Stutzla at thirty three. Does that seem like good value to, to you? I mean, that, that for a guy that could put up 100 points, that seems like pretty good value to me. Yeah, it, it does. Like, I, I'm keeping him in my league. So I think he's a really good value there. Um, yeah, what's that, like, third round-ish? Yeah, yeah like, that's, yeah. I'd say that's pretty good for a guy that, you know, might get 90 points and, you know, 100 hits or something. Like, that's pretty good. For sure. Okay, uh, Bruce, let's move on to the Tampa Bay Lightning, who were 46, 30, and 6 last year, which is third in the Atlantic. 3.41 goals for per game was eighth. 3.07 goals against was fourth. Um, Corsi 4, 51.35 was 15th. Special teams, they were third in the NHL with a power play of 25.36%, and the penalty kill was just under 80%, 15th in the league. They have 10 back-to-back sets this season tied for fourth fewest among all NHL clubs. 21% of the games are played on light days, the lowest for next season. Um, so just something to keep in mind there. Key additions, Connor Sherry, Josh Archibald, Logan Brown, Calvin DeHaan. Key departures, Alex Kalorn, Ross Colton, Pat Maroon, Corey Perry, and Ian Cole. 
Um, based on those names alone, I think I know the answer, but Michael, did this team improve, <laughs> decline, or remain largely the same? Yeah, it's it's uh, one of those teams that's hard to bet against, but I think I'd have to say they declined. Um, you know, they're really kind of feeling the the grip of the salary cap, I think, right now. Um, you know, if you look back kind of the last few years with, you know, Palat, Gord, Kalorn, they've really lost a lot of their their depth. And I think they're becoming like a very, very top-heavy team. Um, and yeah, like that bottom six is, I think, one of the, the bleakest in the league. I think maybe they're hoping for a, a Tanner Janot bounce back because that was a bit of a disaster for them. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how they deploy the the top line. I'm, I'm very curious to see if they go, because I think Kucherov and Pointer kind of tied together now, mm-hmm. but I wonder if they go Stamkos and load up that top line or if they put Hagel back there because um, Hagel had a really nice season playing mainly with those two. If he does again, I think he's going to have another another good year. But I think like dropping down to that second line now, if you're playing with, you know, Sorelli and maybe Connor Sheary, like that's, mm, I mean, ideal. I like Sorelli a lot. Of, yeah, I like <laughs> Sorelli a lot as a player, but for fantasy, that's not great. So I wonder, I don't know, I wonder if they're going to put Stamkos with those two to just balance it out a bit. But yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how they, they shake out that top six. Yeah, I mean, for me, I was kind of, we had this conversation um, in a previous podcast, Bruce, and I, based on what they gave up to get a guy like Tanner Janot, I feel like, in my mind anyway, he should be playing ahead of a guy like Connor Sherry. Like, we're, we're talking about a yeah. player in Tanner Janot yeah. who is is a season removed from 41 points and 24 goals, uh, 130 pims, 318 hits. Like, he's the kind of sandpaper guy that can actually score a few goals for you. That kind of makes sense to me in the top six. Um, Connor Sherry, like, is there really a lot? Does he do anything incredibly well? Yeah, I not really. I think I think maybe <laughs> if anything, he can play. Like, he's he's proven a little bit. He can play with like good players. Like, I think he had some decent, you know, stretches in Washington last year. Um, but yeah, like he's not particularly, you know, exciting for for fantasy purposes. I, I think like the not to go on a tangent here, but the Jano trade was just like, it didn't make any sense to me. I mean, even if like me, even if that guy won like the con Smythe, I, I think that they would still have paid too much. Like you didn't need to pay that much for that guy. Like, I don't know who they were bidding, bidding against. against. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe they were question. just bidding against the, the predators who said like, either give us this or we're keeping them. But yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It didn't, yeah. Like I get like Tampa goes for these aggressive trades and you know, they don't, they don't care about traffics because they're just trying to maximize this window. But, I don't know. It just felt like kind of reckless to to make a trade like that. And yeah, I think if you look at Janelle's like shooting percentages too in Nashville, they were a little a little high. So for sure, I'm not shocked that he came back down to earth a bit. Um, I mean, he's if you're looking at it from fantasy purposes, he's still really good for hits, obviously. So yeah. if he does get back to you know 18, 20 goals, I mean that's some good some good value for you with a late round pick. But it kind of feels like that's sort of wishful thinking at this point. Yeah, I, I guess we'll have to see how he gets deployed, really. But one thing that is really positive for him is that he shot at 5.6% last year. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I get it. 21.7%, 19.4% in years one and two in, in Nashville yeah. may not be realistic to to replicate, but he's definitely not going to shoot 5.6% again this coming season, particularly yeah, if, he gets, if he plays in the top six. Yeah, maybe if he gets back to like 10 11%, you're still getting, you might get some good value out of that. So we'll yeah. see. Uh, so, yeah, 18 goals and 40 points is what we've got him pegged for. Uh, we will see what happens. 
Uh, you mentioned Brandon Hagel. I wanted to ask you about that quickly too, because he just got paid eight years, $52 million, a $6.5 million AAV, but he also put up 64 points and 30 goals last year. So in your mind, is this a legitimate top six player that can you know, continue doing what he did last year? Yeah, I think as I mentioned, if he's playing with um, Point and Kucherov, like he did much of last year, I think he's an easy 60-point player. Um, he's got the talent to do that. And yeah, he like he's we talked about sort of how thin, you know, Tampa is getting it forward. He's going to be a featured player for them now. He's going to be a focal point. You know, they also gave up uh, quite a bit to get him as well in a, in a trade. So I, I I have a feeling he is going to stick with um, Kutrov and point and they might move Stampos down to the second line. So I, I like him there in that spot again. Okay. Um, we'll talk about Braden Pointer quickly. So we, we've got him taking a bit of a step back. Uh, based on some of his numbers just being a little higher out of his normal range. Um, but 41 goals and 85 points, does that seem too low considering he scored 95 and 51 last year? I think it might be a tad low. I think like, and granted, like he may have had the quietest 50 goal season like I can remember. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> like, 100%. Yeah, exactly. It was kind of like that last week in April. Oh, he point gets his 50th goal and you're just kind of like, oh, really? He has 50 <laughs> goals? Like, I didn't even know. If you told me he had like 35, I would have been like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But um, yeah, he's really good. You know, obviously when he's healthy, he's, I think he's probably one of the more underrated players in the league. And he's got a lot of chemistry with Kucherov, who, you know, is just an incredible passer. So yeah, yeah I think I, I probably peg him. I don't know if he's going to get 50 again, but I think like maybe 45, 46 and maybe 90 points is, is kind of what I'd lean towards. For sure. I, I can see that. No question. <laughs> What's interesting about him is he's actually not a high volume shooter. So it's really impressive for him to score 51 goals last year. Like he shot at 8.7 shots on goal per 60. Uh, I think it was 2.9 shots on goal per game, right? If you're just counting stats, but, um, so it will be really interesting to see what he does. He, he is a high volume or a, a high efficiency shooter. Like he does have a high shooting percentage year over year. That's pretty typical, but, um, he's one of those players actually that's good in fantasy and good in real life. Like he's actually a, yeah. you know, he's like a con Smythe candidate every time they're in the playoffs, basically. Oh yeah. He's like a, he was a terror against the Leafs. Like uh, yeah. even like, you know, at half speed there in some of those games when he was injured, like he, he was really good. For sure. Um, two more questions here on the, on the Tampa Bay lightning. We got to talk about Victor Hedman and Mikhail Sergachev because I think, you know, Victor Hedman or, or, or Sergachev, that is the question that literally every fantasy manager is asking themselves right now. Um, Sergachev played during the last 22 games of the regular season. He had a 70.2% power play share, 23.46 per, um, time on ice per game, 24 points in 22 games. Like he, he looked like a legitimate stud on the back end. And Victor Hedman, under 22 minutes a game, under 30% power play share, uh, just nine points and four goals in, in those final 22 games, uh, or maybe it was 20 games. But really just, I mean, I don't know if he was injured. I don't know if they're arresting him for the playoffs. I don't know if it's a bit of both. Um, or is it just the fact that Sergeyev is ready for, for big time? Like, what's, what's your thoughts on that situation there? Yeah, they're, they're still pretty close to me. Um, I'm working on my rankings right now, and I think I have, like, Sergeyev two or three spots ahead of Hedman because I'm just not exactly sure how it's going to play out. Um, right. One thing I think about with Hedman is like he had, I think he had 85 points two years ago. So it was obviously like a huge draw for him, yeah. but I just wonder if he's given his age um, and how many kind of minute, how much minutes he's played over, over the last bunch of years and how many miles are on his, his body. I wonder if he's just going to kind of morph into like a really good, 
you know, steady NHL defenseman and, and his days of being like an elite fantasy defenseman are, are kind of over. Um, that's what I, I kind of think could be happening. And again, we'll see how this year goes just, and I don't, I don't get the sense from him that he's got like, you know, a big ego where he just, he, he needs to be on power play one or whatever. Like I just feel like he wants to win. So yeah. I think if Sergeyev is the better option, which it looked like last times last year, he definitely was. Um, I think maybe Tampa just keeps rolling with it. So, but it was, they did flip flop back and forth a little bit. Like Hedman was on and off power play one. So I think it was just really surprising to see him not there for a while. And, you know, Sergeyev did pretty well there. So, you know, if it were me, I would probably draft Sergeyev a few picks ahead of Hedman if I was targeting a defenseman. But I, I think, I don't think Hedman's done quite yet, but I, I don't know if we're going to see like another 80 point Victor Hedman season. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the situation in Vegas where they've got Petrangelo and, and Shea Theodore and they're both, they're both really good and they're both going to provide you with some points, but one's just going to get a bit more power play one time than the other one. And um, I, I think I, I would probably draft Sergachev just based on the potential upside, but it, that, that made yeah. that whole situation makes me nervous because Hedman was a guy you always took in the first few rounds of your draft. You knew what you're getting. And, and for me, if I'm spending that kind of draft capital early, I, w- I want a bona fide number one power play quarterback. Like that's, yeah, that's that's what you like. To me, you always want to take the least amount of risk with your early picks, like your early first few picks. You want to be as sure as possible um, with those picks. And yeah, that's where like it gets a bit murky if you're, you know, you're targeting headman. But maybe it also kind of drops both guys down a round or so because you're just you're a little unsure of you know how much power play time they're getting. So maybe like you know, that bumps them down a little bit. So it'll be interesting. Well, I think you're absolutely right because Victor Hedman, I just looked, his ADP, average ADP right now is 68.6 and Sergachev is actually 86. Yeah, um, that's kind of where I have, I think I have them both in the 70s, like in my in my rankings, like okay. low 70s or, or high 60s, so right around there. So yeah, I think, um, I think because of that uncertainty, Hedman's probably going up probably a round or two lower than he normally would. Okay. Uh, and then last thing here is just Andre Vasilevsky. Any concerns over this guy? Like, obviously not as strong of a team. Um, he's been really consistent himself. I think um, is it since 2016, 2017, he's posted an overall save percentage in the 915 to 925 range. And he started in, uh, or he's had no less than 31 wins in a season since 2017, 2018. So can we expect another 30 plus win season from Vasilevsky? He's going to probably start, 75% of their games because they've got uh, Jonas Johansson um, backing him up. And I don't think that guy's going to get a lot of playing time. No. And I have a feeling um, Tampa could be active uh, on the waiver wire there as, as some cuts are made in training <laughs> camp. Like I wonder if, um, you know, I know the Leafs signed Martin Jones. I think he has to pass their waivers. I wonder if he could be like Tampa bound if nobody else wants him. But anyways, yeah, I, I think with Vasilevsky, um, you know, obviously the, the concern with him would be for me, two things. Number one, you know, he's played a ton of games over the past few years and some of those seasons were condensed and some of those seasons were like back to back condensed because of COVID. Um, mm-hmm. So that's always a concern as the goalie gets older is just the number of games played. Um, and two, like, you know, we talked about Tampa maybe taking a step back this year, right? Like that's could hurt his win totals. Um, I think if we're looking at the glass half full, maybe them losing in the first round, kind of gave him an extra couple of months of rest, which, you know, is unusual for him. Maybe that's going to do him some good for a bit of a, you know, bounce back this year. Um, 
but yeah, he had some uncharacteristically bad stretches last year. And especially I think against the Leafs in the first round, he, he didn't look very good at all, um, which was obviously really unusual. So yeah, I wonder if just maybe an ex, some extra rest this summer is going to do him a lot of good. We'll see. Okay. So just two quick follow-up questions right now. His ADP is sitting at 19.3. Are you comfortable taking Vasilevsky in that position? And second question, where does he fall for you in your goalie rankings? So I would probably take him a little bit lower, but again, that that's all it could be my bias of like, I'm a big zero G guy. So mm-hmm. I naturally just rank goalies lower. I'd, I'd always rather a skater, especially in the upper rounds. Yeah. Um, but I actually have him third this year. I have Shesterkin, Sorokin, and then Vasilevsky. Um, I really like Sorokin. I actually considered Sorokin as number one. I just think like, I think the Rangers are a, a little bit better than the Islanders and Shesterkin's going to get more wins. I think their numbers will be like very comparable, but I think Shesterkin will probably get just a few more wins because yeah, I, the Rangers are a little bit better than the Isles. I, I'm with you there. The Isles are just such a boring team to me. I have I have a I have oh, trouble man. taking any players from that team. <laughs> Last year, they I don't know what that stretch they had was like ten games where they didn't score more than two goals. It was just a nightmare. <laughs> and I had like as someone that had Bo Horvat last year, I just dreaded when I heard that he got traded it's because. Like, oh. Bruce Boudreaux, say what you want about him, but he's incredible for fantasy. He just lets them <laughs> play. And man, Horvat was having a career and it just plummeted when he went to the aisles. But sure did. Yeah, that's that's how it goes there. Okay. Uh well, on that note, we're gonna move on. We say best best for last, just for you, Michael. We're gonna talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh boy. Who were 50, 21, and eleven, second in the Atlantic last year. 3.39 goals four per game was ninth. Uh 2.68 goals against was seventh. Corsi Fort, 50.81, was 17th. They were second on the power play at 26%, 12th on the penalty kill at 81.85%. They've got 13 back-to-back sets this season, tied for fourth most with Columbus and Montreal. 33% of their games are played on light days, uh, tied for eighth fewest with Carolina, Calgary, Detroit, and Florida. Key additions, Tyler Bertuzzi, Max Domi, Ryan Reeves, John Klingberg, Martin Jones. Uh, key departures, Ryan O'Reilly, Alex Kerfoot, Michael Bunting, Nolachari. Eric Gustafson, Justin Hole, Luke Shen, and Victor Mete. So lots and lots of changes for the Leafs this year. Um, I actually like most of the additions they made in the offseason. Like I, I think Bertuzzi, Domi, and Klingberg are all valuable additions in, in some way, shape, or form. Um, but what did you think? Did, did this team get better, uh, decline, or stay largely the same? Um, that's a tough one. I, I think like there may be better like i think they have maybe better talent overall but i don't think they're as deep if that makes sense um i'm just looking at the depth chart now and yeah like the i really like the bertuzzi ad i really like domi ad a couple like the reeves one puzzled me i'm not really sure Mm -hmm. where he fits especially with the term there too which is weird klingbert i'm i'm on the fence with klingbert like i think it could go, I think it's going to go one of two ways, either like spectacularly well or just a complete nightmare. Um, and what concerns me is like, it almost reminds me a little bit of when they brought in Tyson Berry and they just had like no natural fit for him. And I could kind of see Klingberg based on the way he's played the last couple of years, you know, in, in Anaheim and Minnesota. And even, you know, I think back with Dallas a bit, like he's kind of tailed off and the Leafs already kind of have an issue finding a partner for Morgan Riley, who as good as a player as he is, he's kind of a hard guy to play with. And I feel like you almost have like two players like that, where you're trying to like fit another partner for him and their, their decor really, I like a lot of the pieces, but like they don't really seem to fit together. So I'm just, 
again, if Klingberg bounces back and he can play on that second pairing and he's a, a good puck mover and, you know, maybe if, you know, I know the Leafs have a really good power play, but maybe if it sputters a bit, I know Riley's been taking some criticism there. Like maybe Klingberg sneaks in there and takes a bit of that spot. Um, you know, it could work out, but that's one that I kind of have some concerns about. Um, but yeah, I think like Bertuzzi, you know, I think he's a better player than Michael Bunting and Michael Bunting scored 60 points with Matthews and Marner. I think Bertuzzi could easily do the same. Um, I like Domi a lot. I'm just, I'm just wondering, I talked about how thin they are at some spots, like center depth. I wonder if they have no choice but to play Domi as the third line center, um, unless they're going to use David Camp there, which seems like a little bit of a miscast. He's probably more of a fourth line center. So if you know you're playing him on the third line center, that's not ideal for him. You, you know, you probably, if you're drafting him, you probably want him to play with Tavares and Nylander, ideally, if you're assuming Bertuzzi's going with Matthews and Marner, which I think most people are. So, and then there's like, you know, Matthew Nyes too, right? Like mm-hmm. he's, he looked pretty impressive uh, in, against the Lightning in, in the playoffs. So if he gets time with Tavares and Nylander, he could be interesting, you know, rookie late pick too. Yeah, um, so maybe let's start there. I'm kind of I'm curious. I'm just looking up the betting odds for the Calder Trophy right now. Um, we've got Nyes projected for 15 goals, I think, and 42 points. He yeah. is sixth in Calder odds at plus 2,500. So um, we'll we'll get to that shortly because I'm going to ask you some questions <laughs> about projections for next year and the awards and stuff. But uh, he's he'd definitely be a good. Yeah, yeah, he'd be a good bet to throw you know, a couple bucks on for sure. Like if he gets that deployment, um, yep. I think with him, it's just more like, how's he going to hold up over 82 games? Like we saw him get injured in the playoffs. Obviously playoff hockey's different, but he's still a young, young guy on, on a very small sample size, but definitely a lot of talent. Yeah. Um, the other question I want to ask you is about the defense. So you, so you talked quite a bit about Morgan Riley and John Klingberg. I, I was kind of of the mindset that the only reason you bring Klingberg in is just to play on the power play. Like, I don't know, like you, like you alluded to, he's not really a defensive defenseman. Um, where does he fit? And I found it interesting, if you go to Yahoo, and again, you can't really trust these numbers this time of year, but it's interesting, Riley's being taken considerably higher than John Klingberg still. Um, so I think most yeah. most fantasy managers out there are of the mindset that Riley's still going to be on power play one. Yeah, I think, I think he definitely will be. Um, I think, you know, he's... And even if he isn't, like Riley's still you know, if he's healthy, probably a 60 plus point player pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I don't know if Klingberg is that anymore. So maybe that's influencing it as well. And I think the Leafs, you know, I think they were second last year behind the Oilers in power play percentage. So, yeah. you know, I don't know how much you're tinkering with that. I think, I think the concern with, you know, bringing in Klingberg or maybe the thought process was like, if that power play struggles and when it did struggle, I think a lot of that maybe fairly or unfairly fell on Morgan Riley. And so I think they want somebody there that, you know, they can, they can plug in if they need to, because they don't really have anybody else at this point. Right. Like yeah. Sandine's gone. And I think that's, I think that's one of the reasons they brought in uh, Eric Gustafson last year before the playoffs is just in case Riley, you know, sputtered or the, or that power play went cold in the playoffs. They have another option to kind of mix it up because I don't really think you're taking like, Matthews, Marner, Tavares, or Nylander off of it. So like, <laughs> your only option is kind of back there. And yeah, maybe Klingberg is, could be a great fit. You know, I, I, I know he's really good kind of walking the blue line, getting pucks mm-hmm. to the net, which Riley's been criticized a little bit for um, not being as decisive back there. So, you know, I think as long as that power play is clicking at, you know, what it was last year, I, I don't think Klingberg maybe gets the first look there, but we'll see. I guess the other thing to mention too is, um, 
Spencer Carberry is gone, who's now the coach of the Capitals. He was, I think, running the Leafs power play last year. He was the assistant coach. So right. maybe that impacts the power play a bit. But I think still with, you know, the guys they can put out there, um, it's probably going to be, I, I think, top five again. I'd have a hard time seeing it not be that. Okay. Um, we're talking about the guys in the power play here. So, you know, Matthews, Marner, um, Nylander, and, and Tavares. So let's, let's maybe shift gears and go to those guys. Uh, I'm just looking at Matthews. Just prior to last season, he averaged an individual shooting percentage of, of over 16%. So um, he was at a career low last year, 12.2%. If he gets back to kind of his career average, he, he would have had a 54-goal, 100-plus point season last year. So I think he was criticized for having a down year, but I really think he's a guy that's going to have a, a better year. He, also, the Leafs took a step, right, getting past the first round of the playoffs. I think they're all going to be coming in in a, a better mindset. And two... He just signed his four-year deal, so there's no more contract talk for, for Austin Matthews. I think he'll just come in a bit more relaxed. Um, we've got him projected for 62 goals and 100 points. Are you, are you that confident with Austin Matthews? And the other question I would ask you is, what were your thoughts on his contract? Uh, yeah, so first off, I think maybe... I, I think he could easily get 62 goals. I think that might be a tad high in just the sense that I think on average he's missed maybe like eight to 10 games a season. So I always kind of, you know, think about that with him a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, but I think like he, I think what you said is probably true. He's going to have a bounce back here. And I actually think he, he could end up being like a minor steal in a lot of drafts. Cause I think he, he, I think he might actually fall out of the top five in, in some leagues this year, given how good Pasternak was last year, the emergence of some players like Jack Hughes, I think potentially could, push Matthews maybe to like six or seven in some, some formats. And I think if you get him there, like you said, I think, he, I think he's probably going to like regress to the positive side a little bit and his numbers are going to come back. So yeah, I think he could easily get back to hundred points and push 60 goals again. Um, you know, the contract is interesting. I, I, I don't really hate the AAV. I think it's a good, pretty good for the Leafs with, with the, you know, we always hear the the caps going up, but, it's mm-hmm. supposedly finally going to go up next year. So I think <laughs> that's going to work for Toronto. Um, and you also have like Tavares coming off the books in a couple of years. So I think like that's going to end up being pretty, a pretty good number for Toronto. Obviously like if you're the Leafs, you'd, you'd want a bit more term, but yeah, I just find it kind of interesting that like, you know, Matthews kind of got praised for, you know, taking that short deal and then he's going to like cash in again at 30 years old, which like in theory makes sense. But I always think of like, you know, hockey is uh, obviously a physical, violent sport. And I think, you know, when he signed the contract now, he could have just said to the Leafs, look, I want eight eight years times, let's say 13 million, right? That's mm-hmm. that's well over $100 million, right? He took about half that in, in money, in total money, right? So let's yep. say like, you know, knock on wood, hopefully he's fine. But let's say he gets, you know, a serious career-altering injury in the next three or four years. He's leaving a lot of money on the table, right? So there, he is taking a little bit of risk. Yep. in that sense but you know if all works out for him i'm sure he's going to sign a, an eight-year deal when he's 30 and he's going to like cash in again so i think he's i guess if you're a Leafs fan it's slightly frustrating that you know he seems to be the only one that's kind of taking the shorter term deals and like yeah. everyone else's superstars are taking like eight eight years and, and full max term so but at the same time you're kind of if you're if you're the Leafs, you're getting him for 13 years of basically his prime right until he's 30 31 years old no matter what happens next so you can't really complain about that yeah i i mean and my initial thought was it, it didn't feel like great value right just you're gonna get him for four seasons i i, I agree with you i don't mind the aav i think that's that's fine 
Um, but I, as a fan watching this, like I, I would want him on my team for eight years. Right. It's, it's just frustrating yeah. to watch. I know. And I think, I think a lot of people, I, I think you like, you don't mind the AAV because a lot of people were throwing out like, you know, 14 million a season, 15 million a season. Yeah. And at least basically had, would have to pay him pretty much whatever he asked for. So the fact that he only took 13.2 was, was nice, I guess. But yeah, yeah four years, like, you know, I, I think like, I guess there's pros and cons, obviously, like, you know, you, you can see where you're at as a team. Like I think in a salary cap era, you know, term is kind of a, a bad thing in a lot of cases, but I don't think in Matthew's case it would be. I think you want that guy as long as possible, but yeah, yeah you know, I think he's, he's maximized kind of every dollar he can try and get out of his career and yeah, it'll be interesting. I'd be really curious to see who's going to pay that guy um, or give that guy an eight year contract at 30 years of age too. Like somebody will, right? Yeah. I just, Mm-hmm. it's going to be tough to find value. What do you think, Bruce, in the last few years of that deal? It depends how well he's, well he's doing, right? When he comes out of the contract, if he's still doing what he's doing now, there's going to be all kinds of teams that are going to back up the truck for him. And you'll probably see something that's more front-loaded. Yeah. And then it'll tail off. As the eight years tail, you'll just see, a, just see it tail off in terms of dollars and however they work the cap number. But yeah, there will be teams that'll do it. Yeah, because like what did... What did uh, Tom Wilson was Tom Wilson's deal eight years, just just recently? Uh, oh yeah, I was just he, talking about that. Yeah, he's twenty nine, right? Or he's close to thirty. I, th- I think you're so, right. Yeah. So, so teams do it. It's just obviously he's not gonna like Wilson's not gonna get close to what Matthews is getting, but yeah, or, or what Matthews is gonna get. But still, like I think teams do it if it's like a franchise player. But yeah, I think it also depends on you know injury history, how how well you think a player's going to age and it's funny like you know being in toronto like a lot of people criticize Tavares for his mm-hmm. contract but i think that's a guy that is going to age really well like i don't think he's going to be a 100 point player but you know he's he's still a point per game player he keeps himself in really good shape yeah. um obviously you don't love the number given his age and kind of him losing a step but you know i think he's in the same sort of vein is obviously he's not as like talented as Crosby, but I could see like Tavares producing well into his like mid to late thirties. So. Yeah. And I just going back to Tom Wilson quickly, that contract is not going to age well, just based on the type of game he plays. He's a big body. Like it's going to be ugly in the last few years. There are probably a lot of people loving to see that. Like at those that are going, coming up to age 30, seeing that Wilson contract, thinking they're going to get paid soon. So yeah, no question. Uh, And then quickly, sorry, Bruce. The last two years of Wilson's contract, his base salary is actually under a million dollars. It's all salary bonus. Yeah. See, and I think like teams, teams are going to like that, but at the same time, like the cap hit, it doesn't change. Right. So like that cap, it's still the same. Yeah. So if you're, you know, if he's, if he's struggling for you, I guess, you know, maybe it could be an LTIR situation, but yeah, it gets complicated. All right. uh, Mitch Marner, just want to get your thoughts on him quickly. We've got him at 32 goals and 100 points for next season. Do you see him breaking 100 points? He just missed it last year with 99. I think he he could. Yeah, he's just really talented. Um, Some of his sort of playoff criticism notwithstanding, I think he's a really good regular season player and maybe doesn't get um, as much attention because of Matthews and maybe doesn't get as much attention for kind of what he does for Matthews. So I think he's a really talented player. Um, and yeah, I think he could easily be a hundred point player, obviously 99 this year. And I think the last few games he, he was held off the score sheet. So he could have easily got there this year, but yeah, obviously, you know, if Matthews bounces back, like a lot of people think, I think that's only going to help Marner too. 
Uh, and then quickly, I was just reminded, I wanted to ask you this, because you had mentioned in that ADP battle, you took Pasternak over Matthews. So do you have any concern about David Pasternak for next year and what's going on in Boston? It seems like it's, is this finally going to be the year that the wheels fall off the bus for the Boston Bruins? Uh, I've been saying that for like four years and it never <laughs> happens. And I was so sure of it last year. And then they went on to have like the greatest season in history. So um, I'm not going to say it ever again, but I, <laughs> it's hard not to think that when you lose your top two centers and like Bergeron was so important to that team. But I kind of think Pasternak is like, he's just his own great player, right? Like he's his own kind of line driver, you know, play driver. I don't think, I think like he, his numbers might take a little bit of a hit. Um, but I don't think he's going to struggle as much as some other players there, whether it's like Jake DeBrusque or something like that, that played a lot with Pasternak and Bergeron last year. Um, you know, I, I think there's some other players there that will, that will take a hit before Pasternak will, but I kind of just picked him over Matthews just mainly because of Matthews kind of missing eight to 10 games a year. Whereas I think, you know, they're pretty comparable players. And I think maybe Pasternak just plays a handful more games and ends up finishing with a little couple more goals, but you can't really go wrong with either guy. Okay, fair point. Uh, really quickly, just a couple more questions. Tyler Bertuzzi, yep. is he going to set a new career high in points? We've got him at 28 goals and 70 points. I could see him cracking 30 this year if he can stay healthy. Yeah, I think 70 might be a tad high for me, but I think he gets a new career high. Um, I think he's going to get 30 goals and I think maybe 65-ish points um, could be in that realm. You know, again, uh, you know, I keep saying this kind of stuff, but I think a lot of it just depends on health. You know, he's had some injury issues. Um, his style of play lends itself maybe to, to being injured a bit. But, you know, I think um, he's kind of a natural, perfect fit with Matthews and Marner. Um, they kind of always had that type of player, you know, that kind of physical get into the corners, whether it was Hyman, Bunting, and, you know, now Bertuzzi. I think he's going to just fit really well on that line. Oh, we sure love Zach Hyman, don't we, Bruce? We sure do. <laughs> oh man, that's uh, yeah. Hyman, Hyman's a tough one. Campbell, Campbell's looking okay after last year. That not signing, not signing Campbell <laughs> to that contract. But yeah, Hyman, Hyman is a really just a phenomenal player. Like in just like, I think a lot of people looked at him and maybe this was like the Leafs' mistake as um, oh he's just a product of like Matthews and Marner. But you know he's he's his own kind of really talented player. He is, and and I like just his his motor, right? That guy doesn't quit, and his yeah. attitude, and, he, and he's actually just a really, really good good dude. Like he seems like he'd be a perfect guy to have in the dressing room. Yeah, he is. It was just, you know, the Leafs were kind of. I, I think, like, you know, not to not to digress too far here, but like, I think COVID and the salary cap not rising is kind of what costs yeah. the Leafs Hyman in a sense. Like they just couldn't afford that contract, sure. and. And I don't blame Hyman for take, like taking it like that's that was a huge deal for him. And who knows, you know, at his age and, and that term, I think that's that's a great deal for him. So, okay. And then final question here for the Leafs: um, Are you comfortable with Samsonov and Joseph Wall in goal for you guys? Fifty nine, forty one, or sixty forty split is kind of how I see that going. What's your thoughts on the on the tandem there? Yeah, so it's interesting. I kind of like Wall as a as a zero G guy. Actually, um, I kind of. Um, compared a little bit to, you know, you guys would be familiar with the the Skinner Campbell situation last year, right? Like Mm -hmm. Campbell's a guy that, you know, had some success, right. But not a super big sample size, maybe some question marks. Um, I think Samsonov's kind of in a similar spot, right? Like he's has some talent. He played really well last year, but again, not, I don't think Samsonov's played 45 games in a season either. So, 
you know, just assume he's going to be the number one and take over might be, um, you know, a, a little bit of a gamble. So, and Wool looked pretty good. Like he, he looked well when he came up last year. Um, he played good in those couple playoff games, I thought. Um, so again, it's, it's kind of an opportunity where, I think with any like zero G goalie, you always want to have two things going for you. And that's a really strong team in front of you and a possible window of opportunity. Right. And I think, you know, Mm -hmm. Skinner took advantage of that last year for the Oilers and of the exact same thing, you know, a really strong team in front of them and a goalie that was, didn't have a firm grasp on the job. And I think there's potential for Walt to do that there. But if Samsung plays the way he did last year, then I think maybe, Wall is more of a more of a true backup, but if he if he struggles a bit or gets injured, I think Wall could be actually a pretty good fantasy asset. You know, it's it's really interesting. I think a lot of a lot of fantasy managers feel the way you do because he's being drafted around one sixty nine in Yahoo right oh, now. So I don't like to hear that. I was yeah. hoping to take him take him later with like my last pick or something, but I'm surprised. I would have thought he'd be go substantially later, but that's yeah. There you are. Yeah. All right, uh, before we get you out of here, we just want to ask you about your 2023-2024 way too early predictions, starting with who is going to win the Atlantic Division next season? Uh, I'm going to say the Leafs. I just feel like it's their year. I think like every team kind of that was competing with them last few years, I feel like is taking somewhat of a step back, whether it was Tampa or Boston and you know, even Florida, who made the cup final, they were probably pretty fortunate to even make the playoffs last year. So I think, um, you know, the Leafs, out of all those teams, I think they're the kind of the one team that maybe got a bit better. And, you know, all those kind of bottom tier teams, whether it was like the Sands or Buffalo or um, Detroit, I, I don't know if they're quite ready to take that division yet. And I don't think the Leafs have ever won the Atlantic and the Matthews era they won the Canadian division so I think it's maybe something they can shoot for this year okay uh who's gonna win the Stanley Cup Ooh, uh you guys might like this but I'm gonna say the Oilers I think <laughs> I think uh McDavid's on a mission and uh you know I think the I, I always kind of look at the way a team goes out the year before and I kind of thought that when Colorado lost to to Vegas a couple of years ago, they looked like kind of a team just on a complete mission to come back and win it. Yeah. Um, and they did, I think kind of Edmonton has that feel for me. It just felt like, you know, um, not that they didn't, not that they didn't deserve to lose, but that like the winner of that series was going to go pretty far and potentially win it all. And, you know, they just came up short. So I don't know. I kind of like them next year. We, we do like that response, right, Bruce? <laughs> we sure do. <laughs> uh, who wins the rocket Richard trophy? Um, I might go slightly off the board. Uh, Miko Rantanen. I loved his season this year, uh, missing Landis Cog for the whole year and uh, McKinnon quite a bit. He still posted career numbers, 50 goals. So I'm going to say Rantanen. Uh, as a guy who drafted him last year, I was really, really happy with Rantanen. Yeah, hard to go wrong there. Yeah. Who wins the Art Ross Trophy? Uh, McDavid, I think. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I could try to be like, contrarian and pick someone else but it's just i can't even I can't even argue against the guy so. no too hard <laughs> uh norris trophy uh norris trophy i'm let me see here let me go off the board a little bit i'm going to say dougie hamilton i think he's gonna have a big year i love the devils love their talent love their depth yeah um i think he could be a big points guy i like it uh the Vezina trophy 
Uh, going Sorokin, even though I don't have him number one in my rankings, I think he's going to have a big year. And if the Isles maybe make the playoffs, I think he could could win it. All right. And then the Calder Trophy. Uh, yeah, this is going to sound boring again, but I'll go with Bedard. Um, I just think he's that good where he could probably get around 70 points still, even with that bleak Blackhawks lineup. And I think he's just one of those players where like, you know, it's almost like he's, it's almost like already his to lose. He'd have to have a really awful season or someone have to have like an incredible season for him to not win it. I feel like just cause there's so much hype around him. So I'll say Bedard. I, I think for Bedard, like for him not to win the Calder, he's going to have to get injured. It's going to have to be like yeah. a McDavid situation That's, where yeah. Yeah, exactly. he breaks exactly. something. Right. And, and, but saying that it's actually a really interesting Calder class this year. Like we've got Luke it Hughes is. who could have a really good season. I like Adam Fantilli. I actually just drafted him in my dynasty league. I think he's going to be great in Columbus. There's actually some, some pieces for him to work with there. Uh, Logan yep. Cooley should look good. They're, both him and Fantilli are at plus 1200 to win the Calder. So, um, that could be interesting. And then Devin Levi is one that I've talked about, Bruce. Well, we talked about him last week. Um, yep. I think if the Sabres make the playoffs, he's probably a big reason why. Yeah, he's interesting too. I wonder, like, is, is uh, I should have checked this, but is Piotr Kachekov still rookie eligible? Oh. I thought about him too, but I have to check that. But yeah, I think he could have, end up having a huge year on Carolina if he gets a lot of playing time there, if Ranter Anderson goes down. but Which is likely. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very likely. Exactly. But yeah, there is, and we talked about Nyes too earlier. There's just a lot of a lot of talent. It's gonna be pretty fun this year. Yeah, be a lot of fun, fun stuff to watch this season. Um, Michael, again, thank you for jumping on. We we always appreciate when you have some some time for us and we can talk hockey. Uh, before you go, do you want to just let our listeners know where they can find you, where they can read up on your content? Uh, yeah, you can get it at uh, sportsnet.ca. There'll be a weekly mailbag and 20 fantasy thoughts every week during the season. And yeah, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Amado underscore Mike, or I guess X as uh, it's called now. <laughs> do, we ha- do we have to call it that? I don't want to call it X. <laughs> yeah, no, let's call it Twitter. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then for our listeners, if you want to follow us on Twitter, X, whatever, at uh, FHHacks, that's where we're most active. Check out our website, fantasyhockeyhacks.com. And like I said earlier, Go check out heavyhockey.com. Lots of exciting stuff going on over there. Uh, And and, uh, that's it for now. We'll see you guys next week. Bruce, thanks again, buddy. You bet. Thank you. Good night. Take care.